Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka. Good day. My name is Evelyn Aka. I'm the founder and managing lawyer of Aka Business Immigration Law. We are based in Calgary, Alberta, and we have two offices in Toronto and Vancouver, Canada as well. I focus primarily on cross-border NAFTA immigration law for professionals as well as families and individuals looking to move to Canada or move to the United States. I would like to welcome you to my podcast. It's called Ask Canada Immigration Lawyer Evelyn Aka. I have the pleasure of introducing my friend and colleague, Mario Godoy. Welcome, Mario. Thanks for joining us. Um, <laughs> let me give you a quick intro first. Mario is the founder and managing lawyer of Godoy Law, and also he's got an estates and wills and probate practice, and he also does some criminal law. So he's a very, very busy man, and I'm very grateful that he could join us today. Thanks again for joining. Hey, Evelyn. Thank you very much for having me on. Always a pleasure to get to hang out with you and chit chat. And I was looking forward to, to coming on the podcast. So thank you for having me. Fabulous. You know, one thing I really like, and I think you and I connect on Mario is we're both immigrants and, you know, tell us a little bit about your story as an immigrant and how you ended up in the U S and maybe why you ended up doing the kind of work that you'd started doing as an immigration lawyer. Yeah. You know, that's a great question. I would say that I'm an, like you said, I'm an immigrant. I'm from Guatemala. Uh, so I was brought over to the United States uh, as a baby. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in the United States. Uh, but culturally, uh, as I'm sure you also <laughs> had the challenge of, you know, your parents grew up in a different culture. And so I got to experience both cultures uh, growing up here in the U.S. that I'm forever thankful for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, how I ended up in immigration was just simply that. It kind of, I mean, I, I lived that life story. It's the practice that is about me, just like it is about you, right? And, you know, in my case, I lived every part of the immigrant experience through the citizenship. Um, and then, you know, in my case, I also had uh, a cousin that was a green card holder that, you know, he managed to get himself into some legal trouble got bad legal advice that would have been great for someone born in the U.S., but not for someone that was on a green card, Mm -hmm. you know, ended up getting deported without really knowing what the consequences were going to be. And so that's when I knew that there was an issue with uh, criminal defense and immigration law. And, uh, you know, for me, the other thing was that, uh, you know, having grown up in an extended family, my grandmother was like one of my closest uh, people growing up and just later on in life, finding out that although she came here legally, you know, when she got sick, you know, the family decision was that there was better health care in the United States. And mm-hmm. so we were going to keep her here. And so, you know, when she passed, she was out of status. And so a lot of my clients, I can sympathize with them yes. in one way, shape or form. And so it was a really easy, easy practice for me to pick up. So do you think that obviously the experience and the empathy and the lived experience of being an immigrant and I have the same from Ghana, you know, coming over at five, it's, um, I, I never thought I'd be doing this kind of work. So how did you move into this? So we both went to law school and you went to a great law school as well. What, what led you to this area? Was it the criminal side first? 
dealing with, you know, like, because you're a litigator as well. Is that the thing that drove you first or was it immigration? Yeah, uh, good question. I, I would say that it was wanting to resolve the problem, right? I think often enough, um, one of the mistakes that a lot of business owners make, and I think also especially amongst attorneys, is that we see ourselves as a one-tool horse. And the problem is that the criminal defense attorneys, for the most part at that time, it's gotten better over time, but at that time, we're not trained on the immigration law. Mm-hmm. The immigration attorneys didn't want to set foot in the criminal defense courtrooms. And so you needed this unicorn that knew the immigration law, yeah. but wasn't afraid to step into a courtroom and face a prosecutor and an upset judge. And so what led me into it was I wanted to resolve that problem. And then I basically picked up both areas and we still wow. practice both areas. Really? Wow. I think it's incredible because yes, you're right. We do like to get niched and sometimes it's hard to get out of your niche. And so the fact that you're balancing both, um, really, I think helps, especially, you know, some of the clients you and I both have who do intersect. Um, Mm -hmm. So do you, so can I just get clear, you're doing criminal and immigration? Yeah. So Godora Law basically focuses on helping immigrants to avoid the pitfalls of the government process. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that includes both criminal defense and immigration law. I would say that probably 15% of my practice is criminal defense or mm-hmm. criminal appeals. Okay. Uh, we do limit it uh, really to focusing on folks that are immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I have someone that comes in that's not an immigrant and wants our help, uh, depending on what the case is, we we may take it on. But uh, mm-hmm. just because of the amount of energy that goes into trying to defend someone in criminal court, mm-hmm. uh, that's a resource that I guard. Um, I know, hear that. Yeah. No, it's interesting for our practice here at Akala, we get referrals, you know, from I think the criminal lawyers that know enough to know what they don't know. Right. And as soon as they hear, oh, immigrant or foreign worker or in process for permanent residence, but not a citizen yet where they can still be deported, at least in Canada, they will reach out. And then we just like you have to decide. Do we want to do this? Is this in our wheelhouse? And what advice, or usually we do legal opinions where we give a legal opinion as to the impact of, of settling or yeah. pleading guilty, you know, like what happens to them so that then they can make a, st- a strategic decision in court as to how they want to play the criminal side of things. So, well, you know, what's really interesting is that there are statistics out there, especially like here in Illinois, you know, the actual state's attorney uh, publishes, you know, every couple of years, here's all these types of cases. These are how many cases went to trial. These are how many cases went to a jury. I would tell you that I would say probably like good 90 to 94% of cases settle in a plea. Mm -hmm. And so if you're an immigrant, 94% of the time, there's going to be a settlement. And so you better make sure that it either doesn't yank your green card like it did my cousin, Mm -hmm. or that it doesn't leave you in such a position that you can't ever apply to become a green card holder or a citizen. Exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, the impacts are so huge for immigrants. My goodness. Can, have you um, have you noticed that the courts are backlogged right now? I mean, we're in now 18, 19, 20 months. I don't even know of COVID. And it may be different in the U.S. than it is in Canada, but um, things are slower here. We've been seeing slow processing for everything because everyone's working from home or less staff or whatever. What's the impact been for you in your immigration practice? Well, yeah, I can tell you where I might be in 2024. <laughs> you know, I've got dates that are set out to 2024, unfortunately. Um, oh and that's one of the challenges in the removal defense practice. So that's one of the areas that we really focus on and, ex- you know, we excel in mm-hmm. uh, is going to be like dealing with those cases, but you got to prepare them for trial. Mm-hmm. And then we have instances where maybe there's a COVID scare. Yeah. Um, I often like to joke that, you know, sometimes the judge just calls in, right? They yeah. just call They got something that happened in their life. Mm-hmm. And then you go back onto the general docket. It is a sad thing that, well, good for this particular client. But <laughs> My first deportation defense client still has not been set for a final hearing. Wow. Well, that's good for the client. From like 2011. God. That's crazy. So do you think, Mario, it's COVID? Or it's just this is the slow process for you generally? It's a slow process in general, but COVID just, you know, really threw an accident, both at the transactional immigration dealing with USCIS level Mm. and also with the immigration court. Some of these things require in-person hearings. And, you know, during COVID, those things were, were set apart or you had a client that, you know, there were plenty of clients of ours that unfortunately, unfortunately did get COVID oh. and we had to deal with that, right? Yeah, yeah. That. Those are all things that come into play. Um, we've had instances where the person who was petitioning, you know, caught COVID, passed away, and now oh. the beneficiary is left without a petitioner. And so it has been, it's been a rough one, but I think, you know, the election of, uh, of Biden gave some yeah. initial hope to folks. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll right? see. Is this still too early? <laughs> I heard it a very broken system. It is. Um, but there have been, I, I will tell you that we have been able to help people apply for termination of their deportation case. And, you know, if, if you have someone who, you know, came here and doesn't have any real criminal history, mm. We can show some merit. Um, right now, the prosecutors are are agreeing to closures or they're terminating cases. And so, That's so great! That's incredible. The kind of impact you have on people's lives because I I don't do that work as you know. I find it just like so stressful. And the idea of you know people's lives in your hands, at least from um, the deportation or being sent back to prosecution or persecution can also be really challenging. Um, tell me, Mario, I mean, we've known each other for a few years now through our business group. How, how has your business changed? Because you've gone from criminal to immigration, you know, crimmigration, we call it. And now you've got this estates and probate law firm. What was that pivot about for you? I'd love to hear the story. Yeah, you know, and once again, uh, I looked at, you know, where would I be passionate about something? And mm-hmm. so in my case, uh, back to that immigration story, 
where I had, you know, my grandmother, like her, uh, her father, my great grandfather was uh, a vaquero. And so like, if you think about like, if you saw the movie city slickers yeah. or <laughs> like, yeah. And so like the idea of transferring, like, you know, um, basically cows or bison or whatever it yeah. was to another part of the country and he didn't make it back home. Mm. Right. And although the farm that they owned was owned by him and his brother, my grandmother did not get her share of the property. Mm -hmm. And then although she got to grow up on it when she became an adult, she was basically kicked out. Mm -hmm. And so my family had an entire generation of poverty that mm -hmm. could have been avoided. And so that had an impact on us along the way. And so that was something that for me, the estate planning, um, helping a family through the probate process uh, was also just another story about. Mm -hmm. And I think the, there it's interesting, right? Because when I'm acting as an attorney, I'm really focused on immigration and criminal defense. That's like, if I have my attorney hat on, and I always talk <laughs> to my staff about this. Yeah. Either got my owner hat on, or I got my attorney hat. And if mm -hmm. I got my attorney hat on, I'm really focused on immigration and criminal defense. I know enough on the estate planning and probate to be dangerous, but <laughs> I have a partner who, you know, is awesome, uh, Stephen Novak. Yes, and he basically uh, leads the legal department mm -hmm. at the other firm. So I took all of the lessons that I learned from Godoy and growing it out. And converted those to a brand new firm mm -hmm. that is incorporated separately and is its own separate entity. And we were able to, I always like to tell folks, like I hit, I hit like every mistake on the don't do that tree. You and I <laughs> both. <laughs> and so this second time around, I was actually able to really enjoy it more because I knew not to do that. You knew what not to do. That is fabulous. I'm so happy to hear that. You know, when you talk about this story of um, your family and estates and wills, recently, I mean, I don't know if you even know this, but we've started to provide the services for, you know, simple wills and simple um, estate support. We have a, an associate who's got lots of experience in it. And so we're slowly developing that practice. But it's interesting because we had a client come from Mexico. And her husband was Canadian. They lived in Mexico for 20 years. They had a daughter also eligible for Canadian citizenship. They moved back and he died within like two months of arrival. It yeah. was just awful. And of course, she spoke no English. So our Spanish speaking team members were on the phone and people were calling us to see what we can do to help. And it just was devastating because you realize she's in another country. Her husband is dead and she doesn't speak the language and there's no Canadian will. Everything was back home. And that's what really started me thinking about, we have to be able to provide more services to people when they get here, not just getting them here, getting them legal, but how do we help them protect themselves as they move forward in their new lives? And so, you know, at Akala, we're starting to think about putting together packages where we can help with the corp. We do corporate and corporation work, set up companies. We do that but then thinking about wills and estates and then thinking about is there employment law issues we have to deal with if you're coming from another country with a different employment contract. So do you need tax advice, like trying to bundle these services because 
it's so heartbreaking when something like this happens and we're useless at this point. So if we can help our existing clients when they arrive, say, let's just get you a simple will. You don't, you may not have a lot of resources now, but you could have a family, you could have a house soon. You could have, so that they have some protection because it's almost like what they don't know can really impact them. Right. Right. And you know, a lot of the fights that we have in probate generally stem from it. I like to call it like the other divorce court because that's a big <laughs> yeah. family members that dislike each other. <laughs> you know, don't like that this one family member had all of mom mm-hmm. or dad's like attention or that they got to live at home while someone else didn't get to live at home. Yeah. Or the first spouse and you know it's a second spouse and the first set of children. And it's wow. Rough, right. And so that is, you know, once again, back to this mindset of like, I want to help the client resolve the entire problem. Mm-hmm. You're dead on that. Hey, this is something that we can educate people on that we can help them avoid, um, you know, uh, tarnishing their legacy. It's brutal. It is truly brutal. Tell me, Mario, why you decided to keep them as two separate businesses? Because I, again, I'm having you and I have a common um, contractor we work with that we love. How did you decide to do that versus um, working through your firm? Is it a branding reason or just you didn't want to dilute all those years of Mario Godoy law to start something new? Like I'm interested in that because we're at that point and I'm trying to pick your brain right now. Will I have you for free? (laughs) No, that's a great question. Um, you know, I looked at it, there's a couple of school of thoughts, right? And so yep. one of them was, you're right, the branding was very important. It's easier for me to get the marketing message out that, you know, we focus on helping immigrants navigate the pitfalls mm-hmm. of the immigration process, right? Uh, at the other firm, you know, we're helping you through life's toughest moments and preserving your legacy. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are two different firms. The yes. Ecuador law, one of the things that it's kind of like an unwritten requirement, but we favor candidates in the job pool that have lived the immigrant process. Me too. That either are an immigrant, have family members that are immigrants, or somehow saw the injustice. And they're crusading to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And so everyone right now on my current team has that. That's branded in them. Yes. And that makes a gigantic difference. It does. Client, <laughs> right. And also being able to say, hey, I was on your side once. Or, hey, my dad was on your side once. Mm-hmm. I Don't worry. I know what you're feeling. Right. Because for yeah. us, a lot of our clients are, and, and I'm sure for you too, you know, they got this, this immigration status is a big black cloud mm-hmm. or a weight that yeah. is on their shoulders, right? And so us being able to say, I can understand where you're at makes a big difference. Yeah. In the probate practice and the estate planning, we hired people that have lived the probate process. Oh, interesting. Right. And so, you know, our number one client relations manager you know, he actually lived through a messy probate process and lost contact with his sibling Mm. for a number of years. And so that's what I was looking for during that interview was, okay, 
you get it. You can tell people from your own experience what it's like if you do not prepare. Yeah. Right. Or what it's like, like have the value in having an attorney mm-hmm. family in this process. Yeah. And so that's the other aspect is that both firms, while we're kind of like cousins, <laughs> we're different. Yeah. Yeah. And we have different missions. Yeah. And our values are slightly just slightly skewed differently. Yeah. Like in one firm where we talk about candor and imagination and all the good things that immigrants bring, mm-hmm. the other firm has some of that, but we really focus on stewardship. Yeah. And, you know, we are there at your side to make sure that this legacy was carried on correctly. They're the clients. Some of them want to be vindicated that they did the things as their loved one wanted them done. Yes where they want to honor that memory because this is the last thing you're going to do for their mom or dad. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that they do it right. Did and you so, find, did you, sorry, Mara, I was going to ask, did you find during COVID you were busier like in, on the wills and estates probate side? Because I mean, I've heard of so many family members were lost and things like that. And people were getting worried about illnesses. Were you busier as a result of this crisis? You think we were it was a different busy because I would say that we focus a lot on probate and litigation. Sure. Um, and the courts were closed. Oh. Courts were closed for a quarter, pretty much, right? And so you have all this stuff that basically backed up mm-hmm. the system. And so, you know, I was quite proud that at both firms, no one was let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, both firms either met the same revenues as the previous year or we exceeded the revenues. Right, which is a win, exactly. In this environment. Everyone that worked here. Yeah. That's fabulous. Wow. So let's just quickly wrap up. I want to know about what I love is I see that you're on all the the websites and you and I in our bubble and we're we're, uh, always looking to get better and better. What do you think are your top three learnings takeaways from running a firm as long as you've been running now two firms what do you think it has taken you in terms of your personal transformation and your development to be able to transform your businesses yeah um well this is going to be a podcast so unfortunately they can't see the the background here (laughs) but if you were to look at it it's like a wall-to-wall calendar. We can see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for 24 months, <laughs> you know, I've labeled out what we're going to do. And I think part of what the number one lesson is going to be to play the long game. Yeah. Right. I think that's that's one of the number one things that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, the other aspect is resilience, right? And fortitude, if anything. Mm-hmm. Ideally, if you had a business that survived during COVID, that's now etched into your soul because <laughs> you survived COVID. I know. So the resilience and fortitude and the do whatever it takes to get to the finish line during that time period, mm-hmm. um, ideally is something that, because the thing is, it's really neat having the two different businesses. And if you decide to go down this journey, it, it is neat in the sense yeah. that 
you know, they both have similar problems sometimes, but just at different magnitudes. Mm-hmm. And so everyone always talks about this metaphorical of like, when I get there one day, everything will be resolved. When you get there one day, it's going to be the same problems. It's just going to be at a different magnified level. Yes. Right? Yes. Or you'll be presented with new problems, but emotionally, it may still be the same the same thing of like, you know, braving the trying something I haven't done before or, you know, something where you need to emotionally grow first to get past it. And so I would say, always think about the long game, mm-hmm. right? Be resilient and then always be working on developing your emotional intelligence. That's true. Oh, I love that, Maria. That's very good advice. I think that as leaders, we're always looking to improve. And I think you want to be with the team that's also wanting to be improve, be improving on a regular basis. But I've learned too uh, from you and others that the success you have business-wise is really in proportion to the success of yourself with your mindset, with your education, with your learning, with your positivity, whatever. It all ties in, right? And you see how connected they are. How do you keep your staff motivated during all of this as everyone's dealing with everything from mental health issues to family stress and children at home and illness? How have you been able to keep things moving forward in a healthy, positive way for your team? Yeah, you know, we uh, we focus on you know, your family, family first, right? Or if you're educating yourself, we try to help folks with their time schedules or when life happens, Yeah, it's just the, hey, listen, are you going to miss a client appointment? Is there like a due date? And if there's not, then let's just make a plan for when mm-hmm. you will make it up. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps out, you know, constantly checking in with your staff to find out, what their goals are personally, financially, professionally, mm-hmm. every 90 days, helping them achieve those goals. Um, you know, money only goes so far. And so yep. I think part of it is you got to deliver that vision and then you got to continually communicate. I always tell everyone, you know, communicate until they're making fun of you. <laughs> right. And so the, what I've come to learn is that there are certain Marioisms. <laughs> and I'm like, good. I finally got through to that. Good. It takes that long, doesn't it? You know, sometimes. But that's, you know, I think that's why, as a business owner, working on your emotional intelligence and your resilience is so important because when you get to work, you can't come to work hoping to find love mm-hmm. from your staff or getting your self worth from that. Mm-hmm. You're there as the cheerleader for the team and as the coach for the team mm-hmm. and as the vision, uh, you know, the vision driver for that team. And so that you need to work on yourself first before you can give that to someone else. Absolutely. Oh, that is so wise. I totally agree. I'm working on it every day. Yeah, <laughs> you are great. Never you, ending, you know, I see you. you're doing something phenomenal. I don't know what I'm doing, but it is up and down and, you know, we'll have to talk offline and I want to pick your brain about some other things because I'm thinking of doing, but I really, really appreciate your time, Mario, on this podcast and for just sharing your story. I think people are so inspired and motivated when they hear other people's stories and yours is a significant inspiration, really. You know, now you don't just have one firm, you have two. Next time I interview you, you'll have five. Like, I love that there's this limitless perspective 
And so when I see the growth in you that I see, even if we don't see each other as much as I would like, the fact that I'm following you and I'm seeing what you're up to, it's so inspiring for me up here in Canada. And um, I want to thank you so much for your time, Mario. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I hope the information was valuable to you. Please do let me know if you have any questions. You can reach us at akalaw.com, A-C-K-A-H-L-A-W.com, or you can contact us by phone at 403-452-9515. Have a great day. Thank you.